0: You're listening to SBS News.
1: It's exhausting because as younger ones, what's expected of us is to serve our family, serve our elders, serve our communities. A lot of times we don't even have time to grieve.
0: and it just felt like a spectacle rather than actually a commemoration. It felt like it was something people just did for the sake of doing it.
2: Everyone at some point or another will lose someone or something they love. And yet grief is still seen as a taboo, particularly in dominant Western cultures. So how do different cultures hold space for grief, and are some better equipped than others? And how can we think about grief beyond the concept of death, looking at other profoundly life-changing forms of loss? I'm Katrina Stearrett, and this is the sixth episode of Living Loss. In this episode, we explore the more challenging aspects of an individual or community's culture during the grieving process, In other words, the aspects of one's culture that can be confronting or more difficult to navigate during a vulnerable time. Julia, who you might remember from episode two, felt the grief of her mother's death was swallowed up by church vigils. Both her parents were active members of the Pentecostal church, meaning the funeral was attended by a large crowd of people.
0: I didn't feel like I had a private one-on-one time with her. it just happened so quickly. I just encountered a lot of strangers at, at the event, um, the funeral service especially, where, you know, it's just people, connections from church, friends, and it just felt like a spectacle rather than actually a, a commemoration. It felt like it was something people just did for the sake of doing it when someone passes away. Um, so I felt it lacked that intimate sentiment. I wish it could have been different. I wish it could have been much more private and more of just my dad and myself and a few close friends.
2: Julia felt that the lack of privacy in the
0: huge church gathering hindered her ability to process her grief. You had to put on a face in front of people and when you're grieving it's very hard to do that. Um, So a lot of emotions was just suppressed and I think it took me years even later to just kind of reflect and think about what I was actually going through in those moments where I was just out of touch with what was happening around me. And that's a sad thing because you want to be in the present, but it's like the memories come back over time when you think about these really, really, really sad moments in your life.
2: Kelly Renee, who you might recall from our first episode, also found aspects of her Maori culture weren't easy to navigate during this painful time. You might recall Kelly from episode one, describing her culture as central to her healing process following the death of her father. However, it wasn't all easy during such a vulnerable time.
3: I just remember, I think by that two, day two, I was just so overwhelmed by the constant visitors, the constant people. I mean, we're talking 50, 60 people, coming in at any point. And I just remember feeling a little bit, and I feel silly thinking about it now, I remember feeling like, can you just stop for a minute? Can I just have, you know, half, because half an hour with my dad. I really want to sit with my dad, by myself, just me and mum.
2: Like Julia, Kelly felt that she needed space and privacy following her father's death.
3: He deserves all of this love that is coming through the doorway from all of his friends family and colleagues and the people that he's touched in his life. But I felt very jealous that I had to share my dad in those last few moments as well. Um, So for that, that for me was something that I, I definitely struggled with. Um, I remember one of my sisters sort of giving me a, you know, bit of a stern word, like, this is just how it is. This is our culture. And you know, this, you know, this is how it is. But I guess when you're in that situation where you are the bereaved family, you forget that there is other people that are grieving for him too.
2: Grief Australia's Christopher Hall describes how each family has their own diverse approach to grieving, just as broader cultures do. He says it's important to respect the nuanced ways individuals and families grieve. Well, families have rules and families also have feeling and grieving rules. For example, in some families, they may light a candle on the anniversary of somebody's death and place a photo alongside it. Um, they might have uh, a ritual that acknowledges the absence of somebody, perhaps at Christmas or some other festival. Whereas in other families, the, the rules might be that we don't speak of the deceased. We put photos away. It's too difficult. Um, the grieving is a private affair. Again, we need to be very person-centred about the way we think about grief and bereavement support. You know, one size doesn't fit everybody. Even within families, there's a diverse range of ways people might express their grief. Grief lines Marianne Baudler says it's important to be mindful of the personal ways individuals grieve.
3: In supporting your partner, we often misinterpret We often think, why is he painting the kitchen? Why isn't he grieving? And we don't realize he is grieving. That's why he's painting the kitchen. I think as a a family member, as a friend, it's helpful to acknowledge that the person might grieve in a different way to how you would. I personally, I cry a river of tears, but not everybody does. And so it's important for me to acknowledge if I'm with my family members who are grieving that just because they're not being tearful doesn't mean. They're not in pain.
2: These diverse cultural approaches is something Yarika confronts when constantly code shifting between the Western world and her Aboriginal culture. Yarika also described her Aboriginal Australian culture as a place of solace in her grieving, but shifting between two
1: worlds can prove difficult. I'm much more introverted now, like I love my own space, and we come from you know, a very um, village, you know, like a takes a village to raise a child. It's a very community focused, a group based culture. We're not an individualistic culture like the Western world. And that's been difficult because I'm, you know, navigating the Western world and I can do that quite, comfortably and confidently and successfully. And then, um, you know, reminded that actually this is the way that we operate. My dad was a, and my grandmother, you know, they were very prominent people. So there was always lots of people around and it's draining. It's exhausting because as younger ones, You know, what's expected of us is to serve our family, serve our elders, serve our communities. A lot of times we don't even have time to grieve.
2: This code-shifting exacerbates grief when the Western world enforces its timing and rituals on ancient Aboriginal cultures, as Yarika shares.
1: It feels like we're rushed. You know, within two weeks usually you have to do a funeral and you have to bury them at a cemetery or, you know, that's not the way that we did it back, you know, before colonisation which you've got over 100,000 years of a track record of running a very secure, stable, very sophisticated um, country. And now you look at the way the world's operating today, it's the opposite. So we've become so removed and so detached from, you know, everything that we know, everything that's in our DNA. And it's, yeah, I look at it and I think, well, no wonder we've got the highest rates of suicide no wonder we're the most incarcerated people on the planet. That's the reality that we're facing until until we're able to have full self-determination.
2: Julia has also had to find personal ways of grieving beyond the Pentecostal church. Her relationship with the church is complex and one Julia has reimagined following her mother's death.
0: It took me different turns. I've turned to counselling I've turned to spirituality. I've turned to self care, self help. At this point, I I don't have any sort of help from church to help in that process of grieving, um, which is really sad. And I think it's a disadvantage when it comes to being in that sort of community. Is this is something personal? It's something everyone goes through on their own. It's something they have to learn to reflect to. I don't think religion gives an answer for that. It teaches you principles, and I think I'm just learning to live by those principles and believing that, you know, there's always something better on the other side. You you have hope. So I'm kind of clinging to that. Ji Shen Lung is
2: a director on the board of Griefline, volunteering his time to offer intersectional counselling approaches that respond to the needs of linguistically diverse communities and LGBTIQ plus peoples. He says it's not uncommon for people to reject or repurpose aspects of their culture to suit their individual grief needs.
4: It's certainly people, I think, draw on on those experiences that make up their identities. I think grief is very much um, a universal experience. You know, it takes place, but takes place, I think, in very different ways for people. And I think it's also you have to be mindful and, and quite. Vigilant about not just that, that cultural lens because people will express it differently I and mean, we don't want to, um I guess, divide them into boxes as as we're healing or Yeah, but like for some people, they, they might not want to even see the body even if that's a cultural norm. You know, They might want their last moment to be an enjoyable event with, with the person who's been lost and not to see them in their caskets. So, so there's a lot of um, variation there.
2: Mr. Lung explains how this is reflected in the intersectional approach to his counselling.
4: The multiple lenses that of the people that we work with and those overlapping experiences that that informs and shapes their grief, um, their the cultural context, their the sexuality, their experience of migration. Um, past traumas and um, taking all of that into account as different factors that, that might um, impact a person's ability to cope with less and, and being cognizant of that. People come to us with the different levels of readiness and, and being aware of that. You know, we, we don't direct, um, we're we, we not the experts of their cultural experience and their own experiences of grief. So, so we try and get, um, their, their, their permission as, as they talk about it but also conscious that that we don't want to overburden them.
2: Funeral director Joseph Ho, who featured in episode two, says this multicultural approach is evident in his experience with funeral arrangements for Chinese-Australian communities.
5: It's actually very common nowadays that they are never getting two worlds because they are handling the way they say goodbye to their parents or the deceased. At the same time, they're doing what the deceased traditional are, so you still have the Australian-Asian would go through a, the, the norm of choosing a music, um, doing a slideshow, doing a eulogy, and then they will leave time for the monk to do the chanting as a final farewell. So they are fitting both in. So they're sort of mixing it west and east at the same time.
2: Mr. Ho says there are still often generational differences when it comes to saying goodbye to loved ones, but he says there is often family cooperation
5: despite these diverse approaches. My older generation don't say, "Oh, I miss mum." and Things like that they don't they don't mention that because the older generation or the tradition, they more believe the more you're hanging on to the spirit, the more you miss them, the more they're not letting them go to the next world. Yes, you have some um, not as easy cases where. One is going totally different direction. One is like my way or the highway. You still get those, but I, I find that those are now the minority. When it comes to grieving, they, no matter how much the kids fight over whatever things happened in the last 20 years, when it does come, they do bond together a bit more.
2: It's clear grief is both a personal and cultural phenomena. Yaraka says there doesn't have to be one cultural mould to follow, but rather safe spaces where people can share their stories.
1: Yeah, I just, you know, strengthening myself with as much cultural knowledge and, and um, ancient wisdom from the best out of, you know, whatever I've travelled and the people that I meet and the different um, religions I've studied or philosophies, I just take the best out of that and apply it to my life and yeah, I know there's not a one fits all approach to the way people deal with grief, loss and trauma. So just to be able to have spaces where we can, um, you know, share our stories and safe spaces where we're actually heard and listened to.
2: In our next episode, we explore the unique grief experience of refugees and asylum seekers, and the compounding layers of loss that often coincide with making the treacherous journey to escape one's home country. Katrina Stewart, SBS News.